I'm beginning a new series. It's going to be a short series, but it's going to be on grace. You've heard me say before, but if there's one thing that seems to be abused today, it's grace. How many people would agree with that? If there seems to be something in the scriptures or in the Bible that is not understood, it tends to be grace, right? We know what love is, the love of God. He loves us unconditionally. God is amazing. You know, the joy of the Lord, the peace of the Lord. But when I say grace, I think we could go around this church and probably get a pretty accurate def- definition and description of what grace is. But I think there has been some, uh, some misinterpretations and some indulgence given to the word. So we're going to discuss it a little bit the next couple weeks. Again, the title of this message is called Grace Is. Starting with Galatians chapter 1, English Standard Version. Verse 1, it says, Paul... Now, this is funny because he's stating that his name is Paul. He's introducing himself to the Galatian church. And he's saying, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Now, if you could put that map picture up. Just to give you an idea of where this is, it's in modern-day Turkey. You can see over here, Spain, Portugal, France, England's up top. You can see the boot there, which is Italy, going over, and that's where Galatia is, just so you have an idea. It's modern-day Turkey. Can you imagine starting a letter to people like this? Ryan, can you imagine? Ryan, a Christian, not of man, but of God, It's so freaky to me. It just really is freaky how he does this. But every letter, he starts off like that. Okay, so he says to the churches. So he's addressing it to the churches. He's saying he's an apostle, not by man, but by God. God's given him that gift, and he is preaching to this church in in Galatia. Now, that's the interesting thing, because it has never been God's idea to form denominations. Did you know that? It didn't say to the Baptist or to the Pentecostal or to the non-denominational It's not his idea to preach and to minister just to denominations. Sadly, that's what's happened. The Protestant denomination came out of protest, right? The Baptists came out of protest. The American Baptists, the Faith Baptists, the Independent Baptists, the First Baptists, going on and on and on. So when God is speaking and when Paul is speaking, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he is speaking to a region. Can I tell you, I'm a little bit excited because I think God is going back to speaking to a region. I see that taking place, the unity that's taking place. So it's exciting. It's exciting to me. This map shows you. Now show a couple of the pictures of that region. They actually have some of the the historic relics of what that region looked like in Galatia. Next three pictures, just so you get an idea. Some of the remains are still there. It's pretty amazing. There's a big old amphitheater. Who knows? Paul could have preached in that. It's pretty neat, right, to think about. Verse 6, he goes, I'm going to jump a little bit because I'm not reading everything this morning. He goes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. He goes, I'm astonished. I'm blown away. I'm surprised that you are so quickly deserting him. Now, this is the hard part, okay? Church, can I be truthful with you? When you're in a church, you develop relationships. And when people walk away from the faith, it hurts us. But ultimately, they're walking away from God. And I don't mean, I'm not talking about leaving a church and going to another church. I'm talking about people that walk away from church, period. And it's a tough thing. And many times they have reasons to do it. They have legitimate reasons. And that's why, can I be honest, one of the greatest calls on a body of believers is to bring back those that are disenchanted. To restore hope that the church can be a place of hope. 
can be a place of, 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 of peace and joy and all those things that God desires. So he's saying, listen, I'm surprised that you're so quickly deserting him who called you, here it is, in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, you NIVs say a little bit different, but I like how he says it here. He goes, turning to a different gospel. Now, watch how Paul describes this change. He goes, not that there really is another, because there is no other gospel than the one gospel. Amen? But there are some who trouble you and want to distort. That's the key word. Distort the gospel of Christ. Now, the key word is distort. Put a pic- that woman's picture up if you can, please. Can you tell that's a woman? Well, I mean, if I tell you, you can probably look back and say, there's a shape of a face, right? But because it's distorted, you no longer can see the features, right? You have a hard time distinguishing exactly, like if that was a rendering of like, she's the one that stole something from a store, you'd be like, good luck. You lose the key components of that picture. Okay, that's what these people were doing. They were distorting the gospel. Now hear this. If someone was to approach you and say, you no longer have to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior to go to heaven, what would you say? Most, I hope you would. I would hope you're not part of the people that believe you can go to heaven accepting anything. We believe that through Jesus Christ alone, the Scriptures say it. It's not something we came up with. That's easy to figure out. What's hard is when they take the basis or the basics of a foundation of Jesus Christ being Savior and they begin to distort it. That's more difficult. What am I saying? Grace today, in and of itself, is powerful and it's awesome, and we all want to see it move in our lives and in our church. But what has happened is I see people are distorting it. They're not changing it, saying Jesus is no longer the way, the truth, and life. They're no longer saying, but they're taking grace and they're covering it over other things that it was never supposed to cover. Come on, somebody. And I'm going to touch on it a little bit today. So what's happened here is he's saying, listen, they didn't really, they're not preaching a different gospel. The gospel has always remained the same. But what they do, and the devil does, is he, listen, if the devil appeared before you right now, you'd be like, whoa, that's the devil. I'm going to rebuke him. He doesn't do that. He's smarter than that. So he comes in little ways into your life. He will discourage you. He'll bring thoughts to your mind. He'll bring situations that discourage you. And next thing you know, you're overly, overwhelmed with discouragement. And you look back and how did this happen? Because he knows if he faces us front, one-on-one, mono-mono, come on, he ain't going to win because we know who we are in Christ, but he comes in the darkness. So these people were coming in, and they were distorting this gospel of grace. They were distorting it. They were taking the truths of it, the tenets of it, and saying, okay, this is fine, but I'm going to add a little bit here, a little bit here. I'm going to change it a little bit there, and next thing you know, it doesn't look like the gospel anymore. And how many people know the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? If you mess with the gospel, it no longer has the power to save. It's important, right? The issue is when they, they were keeping the foundations, but then adding to it. And if you read the next couple of verses, which I'm not going to, you can read on your own, he, that's where you get the scripture where it says, if any angel, of, even an angel of light, even if an angel of light comes to you and adds something to this, let them be eternally condemned. That's all serious. And I love it. And he goes, and I say it again, because it's that important. Now we know I'm not ripping on other, other faiths. I'm not saying that. But for example... Um, Mormonism. That was developed in the 1800s. There's things that are added to the gospel. And I'm not in here to do some defending of the faith. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there's a prime example where they warned against somebody coming and adding to what is already there. Okay? Bless them. Okay. 
What was happening in this case is they were gradually adding back in some Old Testament rituals and traditions that no longer applied. And again, the moment you start adding requirements other than simply believing in Jesus Christ, confessing your sins, if you add to that, it's no longer the gospel and it no longer has the power to save. So let's jump to verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, which is cool. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, you know that's referring to his encounter. Hopefully you know that's referring to his encounter in Acts chapter 9, right? On the road to Damascus where he got knocked off his horse by Jesus, the glorified Jesus. This is my concern a little bit, and I want to share this with you. And please don't take this too far, and don't make it a blanket statement. And they, Well, Pastor Sean said I'm not supposed to. No. My concern today is I see too many Christians that base their knowledge and understanding of Scripture on other people's revelation. Oh, my goodness. You read book after book after book, and it really defines what you believe. Now, I'm all for other people's revelation. I love when someone puts out a good book, and it's encouraging, right? You eat it up. Come on. Okay, let me say this. Some of you people with those little romance novels you read, oh, you just love that. Whatever. I love when somebody puts out a book on a topic that's interesting to me, and it brings some revelation or something I haven't thought of, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But I see increasingly more and more people are more dependent on other people's revelation than they are on their own. I'm going to say it simple. You haven't taken the time to develop a a relationship with God to hear from him. And so what happens is you really create a theology based around another man's revelation. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. But you will hear people that say, all they'll do is quote like one person, whether it's Bill Johnson or Joel Olstein or Joseph Prince. It doesn't matter. None of these men are of the devil, people. But what I'm saying is if that's all you're getting fed from is one person, then whose disciple are you? Whose gospel are you receiving? Did you not know that these books were written, not the, the scripture, I'm talking about these books that are written in the last 50, 100 years, 10 years, 10 minutes, doesn't matter, are to enhance what you already have been, has been revealed to you. That's called grace. It's a grace that God has given you. So we need to make sure we have a relationship with Jesus Christ where the Holy Spirit's speaking so that if I say something crazy, you could say that's not true. I see it happening today and it really bothers me because I see a charismatic personality that gets up front that gets on TV, that can preach like you don't know and can move and sway emotions. And next thing you know, people are giving their whole entire life being everything, body, soul, mind, and spirit, finances, everything to this person because they move them. Oh my gosh, that was an amazing message. It really touched my heart. Did it change you? Did it impact you enough to change how you do things? Okay, I don't want to take too much time there, but because it might sound a little negative. I'm not. I'm just trying to encourage you to have a relationship. Alrighty, so he's saying, I'm not preaching some man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, listen, this isn't some great idea that I dreamed up myself. I didn't pop in a CD or a cassette tape or an 8-track. Wasn't some great idea that he came up on his own, but was revealed to him by heaven through a powerful, listen, a powerful encounter with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. This is why we're here as a church. 
we don't want to just have a place where people come, maybe get stirred up a little bit, feel encouraged, and go home, even though that's not wrong in and of itself. But ultimately, our goal as Lighthouse is for you to have your own personal encounter with a living God. That is why we're here. And so it's never, I never want it to be about where you're always like, oh, what great revelation, what great revelation from from Pastor Sean or Pastor Mark or Dustin or all these. No, I want it to be, listen, that's great revelation. It's amazing. The Lord has been speaking that to me for the last two weeks. I hear stuff like that, and that encourages me because you know what? I'm, I'm like, that's exactly what's happened. They've had an encounter. They have a relationship. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I had a great, powerful encounter with God, with Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. You can read Acts 9 on your own, but that's what he's talking about. Now watch. Then he gives a great defense of this statement, of this previous statement in verse 11 and 12, this revelation he received, by revealing how wildly he was against the church. It really, it reads like a testimony. Read verse 13 with me. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God, violently and tried to destroy it. What, where was he at when it talks about this, that he saw somebody stoned? Anybody remember? Who was it? Stephen, exactly right. It says that Paul was standing over Stephen as he got stoned. He was that, he was a vigilante trying to destroy the Christian church, and here he is serving it. Blows me away, okay? So you've heard about it. He's saying, listen, let me testify a little bit. I was so violent about my persecution of the church, I tried to literally destroy it. And not only that, I was advancing in my knowledge and understanding of Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for what? The traditions. That's key. It wasn't relationship. It was traditions. Church. Look around. Visit churches, even in this place. Everybody still has traditions. And traditions aren't bad. Traditions aren't things that, we, that are of the devil, but they are if they take the place of relationship. I'm going to say it again. Traditions are the enemy of relationship. You will attend many churches and you'll walk in and everything's based on how they've done it for 50 years. Part of the the American Baptist Church coming to me and wanting our help is because they're sitting there going, this is how we've been doing things for 50 years and we don't know how to change. I look around and all I see is gray hair. Sorry, gray hair people. You're, You're needed. But listen, this is all they're seeing. They're not seeing any youth and it scares them to death because they know their church is dying. And it's because what's happened is that he was zealous. People are so zealous over the, over the traditions of their churches that they've forgotten. The traditions don't mean anything to God. It's relationship. So he's going down through this. He said, he goes, it's not the word of God. It's not traditions. That's what I used to be involved with. It's not man-made res, rules and regulations. That's what I used to be involved with. That's what I was zealous for. And what's amazing to me is when you, oh, come on, catch this, revelation for you. When you seek after the traditions first, it's easy for you to kill other people. And I'm not talking physically, I'm talking verbally. I'm talking judgment, I'm talking gossip. When your life is made around traditions, and I'm talking in your relationship with God, it's based on traditions. If people don't live up to those traditions, it's easy for you to verbally attack. 
Paul was saying, listen, I was trying to destroy the church because I was zealous for the traditions of man. It's amazing when he got a relationship, how that all turned and changed. Now, I want you to grasp the truth. And some of you might even believe this. That's all right. You're wrong. But we still love you. You ever hear the term predestination? I don't believe it. I, w- I would argue with somebody till I'm blue in the face, till I'm dead in my grave. I don't believe it. Now, some would, but I'm just saying, I believe it's an incorrect way of thinking. And I think when you think predestination, what happens is you lose your passion to see people saved. Why? Because it's already predetermined. Why am I saying this? First Timothy, don't turn there, but listen. First Timothy 2.4 says this. Verse 4, he or who or God, he's talking about God, desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I'm telling you this for a reason. He's saying, God has revealed to me that he desires all men and all women to come to the knowledge of the truth, to be saved. That's pretty inclusive, right? Does that mean everybody? Okay, so if God desires that everybody's saved, is there such thing as predestination? There might be predestination in certain aspects of your life, but I believe everybody deserves a chance, an encounter with a living God to be saved. Everybody. And can I say one more thing? I believe everybody will have that encounter. Matter of fact, I think Jesus said something like that until the gospel is preached to everyone. I will not return. Reason I'm saying that is this. As I read the following verse, I want you to open your heart this morning. Because I believe God's grace, I believe grace is working on your family's behalf, on your lost loved ones, on your coworkers, on your friends, your family, those that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want you to know that God's heart aches for them. He says, I desire all men to be saved. So listen to these next verses, and I want you to think of them as, I, as we read verses 15 and 16. But when, did you, did you notice he not said if, but when, hear me, say it, when, when means an expectation of something to happen. It's not if it's going to happen. When he who had set me apart before I was born, sounds like Jeremiah, doesn't it? Jeremiah chapter 1. And who called me, how? By his grace. Verse 16, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, that might sound a little weird to you. I'm going to paraphrase it. He's saying, but when God, who set me apart for a certain mission here on earth, decided it was time for me to encounter a powerful Jesus Christ, a powerful God, a living God, he opened up the heavens and sent him, and I got saved. And by his grace, I'm ministering. So let's put it down to our level. But when God, who sets apart, fill in the blank, whoever that is, son, daughter, before they were born, who was called, who called blank, by his grace, was, was pleased to reveal his son when the time was ready for him to reveal his son to blank in order that they might fulfill whatever occupation that is. It's just not ministry. It's any occupation. How many people know, you've heard this more and more recently, but none of you have jobs. Every person that does anything in this world has a ministry. It might be working at a place, but it's still a ministry. You can still be a light, right? A city on a hill. So be encouraged this morning. I believe God, oh man, there has never been a time, I believe in history since the early church, when the grace of God is literally going out there and impacting people. I believe, listen, if you have not seen it yet, be ready. Get ready to see some people, even personal family members, impacted by the grace of Christ, by the grace of God. It's being released in this hour. Fields are white.
from the harvest. Some of you tough, bitter, angry people, Lord reached you. Isn't that amazing? Some of you untrusting or some of you intellectual or some of you cynical or some of the ones that always have to have facts, God's reaching you or he's about ready to. That's awesome to me. I'm encouraged by it. So Paul had this incredible encounter with a glorified Jesus. Listen to what he says. He has this encounter. If you know he was blind, he went away. And Ananias prayed for him. He received his height, or his sight, scales fell off his eyes. He went into ministry. Now let's go to verse 16. This, these are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. It blows me away. I did not, Paul's referring to after his conversion, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. Why would he go to Jerusalem? Because that's where the apostles were located, the leaders of the church to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, say three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas or Peter and remained with him two weeks, 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. And then he goes in verse 20. I love it. He goes, listen, and what I'm writing you before God, I swear to God, I'm not lying. That's what he's saying. Hear these these scriptures. It's amazing. Verse 21. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Galatians 2, turn to chapter, verse 1, adds even more to it. Then, after another 14 years, I finally decided to go visit the leaders of the church. Now, some of you are like, well, this is me and I don't have to go to church. Please, people, come on, stay with me. I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I also took Titus. And I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those those that were esteemed as leaders. So the top of the top of the top leadership, which is the apostles. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. And this is the powerful verse. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. 17 years. 17 years. No, no, no. Not 17 minutes, not 17 days, not 17 months. 17 years he's been ministering. And he finally went up to say, well, I better make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Some of you are like, okay, where are you going? Verse 9. James... Peter and John, those esteemed as pillars, those that were pillars in the church, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they, what? Recognized, say it, the grace given to me. So important. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles, continue to do what they were doing, and they were going to go to circumcised. Verse 10. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had eager to do all along. How is it possible that one encounter with Jesus would keep you going for 17 years? I want to tell you something. Did he have other encounters along the way? Yeah, but they don't really necessarily talk about them. They share them in the book of Acts and different things. But that first encounter with God kept him going for 17 years. How many people struggled going 17 minutes, 17 days? How many people have a hard time staying positive for 17 months, 17 years, 7 
18 years. How can someone minister without ever having the affirmation of man of saying, you're doing the right thing? That's amazing. Blows me away. Because I know, even in my own life, sometimes you go a couple weeks and you're like, man, am I doing the right thing? Anybody ever feel that way? You ever sometimes you sit there and like, I, I am so, I'm so screwed up. I don't know. I just don't know how God is even using me. Don't you ever have, anybody have those thoughts? Did anybody ever, okay, let's, let's, let's be honest because we are in the church and we're not supposed to be wearing masks. Anybody ever say, I wonder if I'm even saved? No one, only five people have ever said that. I've said that as your pastor. Sometimes I'm like, I wonder if, I wonder if I'm just, I'm nuts. How can someone minister week after week, month after month, year after year? How can someone serve God week after week, month after month, year after year? How can somebody have joy and peace and excitement about their mission, about their purpose here on on, on this earth in life, year after year, month after month, day after day, week after week, and not ever lose it? How is that possible? How is it possible? That somebody could really, on their own in many ways, because if you read Paul's life, it's not very exciting in the sense of he didn't have a whole lot of buddies, friends, encouragement. But he was able to continue to walk step after step in the things of God. It's amazing to me. Now, am I saying that he didn't grow weary? Yeah, I'm sure he did. The Bible says, do not grow weary in doing well. Was there times he was discouraged? Absolutely. Was there times he was in lack? Absolutely. You have an encounter with God with the living God, how long would it take for you before you started questioning whether that counter was real? Before you would go to someone else and say, hey, you know, I I started serving the Lord and everything was great, but after a couple years, everything went downhill. Everything dried up. Every door was shut. I'm wondering if maybe that wasn't even real. I know people that no longer part of this church that receive words from the Lord And they no longer believe them because they didn't happen according to how they wanted it or foresaw it to happen. I wonder how many times Paul, sleeping outside by himself, had just ministered to a group of people, been rejected, thrown out of town. They're going to try to kill him, threw him in prison. How many times he laid there in the cold thinking, am I doing the right thing? He's he's human. I guarantee you he did. I wonder how many times when he was in prison, we read the story about he was in prison and he started singing, right? That's awesome. But I wonder how many times he was thrown in prison and he sat there going, are you serious, God? What a great, awesome retirement plan you have for me. I'm so glad my investments are reaping a big benefit. Here's a good one. Lord, you obviously don't care about me because I've done this, 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 and this for you, and look what you're doing for me now. Oh, come on. We've all thought those things. We've all thought those things. When we've served the Lord for a period of time and we look around, I know I don't know about you, but there's times when we've done the best we can. And listen, there's nothing wrong. We're going to make mistakes. No one's perfect here. If you are, we, you need to write a book and it'll be a bestseller. We're all imperfect. We all mess up. But I, you've done the best you can. But there's not a person in this room that can't look around in your life somewhere and see dysfunction. Come on. There's not a person in this room that can't look around somewhere and see hopelessness or see some area that, like, God, are you ever going to move? Where you haven't had questions being yelled in your face of, is there a God? Is he ever going to answer my prayer? Should I even pray? I want to throw my hands up and give up. 17 years. 17 years. I shared with the church years and years ago, the grace of God is simply this. It's God's empowering presence upon your life for you to do things that you can't do on your own. How could David, 
kill Goliath, grace. Now, there's messages on him, you know, crafting his craft of doing that slingshot, and I believe all that. That ain't going to still kill him. Grace. How was Abraham able to become father of all nations? Because you know he wasn't perfect. Grace. Come on, how did every person that ever did anything do what they did? Grace. How was Joseph able to endure his brothers rejecting him, his father uh, losing him, supposedly, being thrown into a prison, being accused uh, by Potiphar's wife, being thrown into the inner prison for seven years, being despised by people. How was he able to endure all that? Can I tell you? It's called simple grace. It's the grace of God. But I want to tell you something. What the devil is doing in this hour, and we need to grab a hold of this, he's distorting it. And he knows if he can distort it, it will stop its impact to powerfully able to you to go 17 years. If he can impact grace in your life, if he can distort it, if he can pervert it a little bit, it no longer has the power in your life to empower you to be who you're supposed to be. That's why you see people left and right now being shipwrecked. Constantly their faith is being shipwrecked. You're seeing pastors fall at record rates constantly. Why? Because I believe they distorted grace. Grace is no longer what grace was supposed to be the empowering presence of God upon your life. It's not freedom to sin. It's not freedom to do what you want. It's not freedom to make any choice you want to make because it feels good. You want to know what grace is? Grace is simply God's power upon your life for you to accomplish his purposes beyond your own strength.